it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone had a fantastic and productive weekend and getting your Monday started as we look on the tail end of this week. Of course, Cinco de Mayo. Hope everyone has their plans ready for that as well. And again, NFL draft in full effect this weekend as we went off the air on Friday. We were getting ready to complete rounds three and four. And of course, five, six, and seven were getting ready to be started on that long six-hour show on Saturday, but of course, Michael Bronner, 10 Alabama players drafted, and of course, five Auburn players drafted. So when you start looking at the Alabama and Auburn drafts, really for the Crimson Tide, the only surprise to me was the fact that it tied for the second most draft picks in school history, but Eli Ricks. Mm. Sometimes when you get bad advice, folks, whether it's with your inner circle, whether it's you just not wanting to to be and play at a particular school, Eli Ricks is really the only one who goes as an undrafted free agent who was really the shocker that could have stayed and had more productivity for the Crimson Tide. Bronner? Yeah, Eli's a hard one to figure out uh, because he's a guy who certainly had the talent that said he come say he came back and had a great year and again you could also say like mm, there was no guarantee he was going to start if he came back like if terry and arnold improved and terry and arnold was starting over him at the start of the year and ricks kind of took over uh because i do believe he's the more talented player he was just kind of in the doghouse like if you remember he, he got arrested when he first got to alabama so he kind of got off to a bad start there and he wasn't practicing well or for whatever reason he just wasn't on the field at the start of the year. So it was just kind of a a turbulent tenure overall for Ricks at at Bama. And again, very, very, very talented football player. Just didn't really have enough stuff on tape uh, for for teams to pull that trigger and and, and draft him. Uh, You know, he had two, like the Mississippi State game, for example, where he had had like six pass breakups, really took that game over. Or uh, I think he had a really good game against A&M, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, so just, uh, you know, hate it for him that he didn't get drafted, but definitely a guy that could have benefited pretty heavily from coming back. So unfortunate for, for Ricks there. Uh, but, you know, he'll get an opportunity. He signed as a free agent with the Eagles. Uh, so we'll see if, you know, we'll, I'm sure we haven't heard the last from him. Uh, you know, being an, un, being an undrafted free agent doesn't, uh, doesn't mean you're done. But so we'll see what happens. As for the other guys like DJ Dale, Emil Echior, Kendall Randolph, I wasn't super surprised to see those guys go undrafted. Glad to see they're going to get an opportunity, though. Talking about an opportunity, five Auburn players selected, and I thought Owen Papo would probably be the first Auburn player 
selected. But it's a hard again, one to figure out. five guys from Auburn going to make that roster and have an opportunity. You knew Derek Hall mm-hmm. was going to hear his name called, and we had already had him covered because he was picked in the second round, 37th overall by Seattle. So we knew going into Friday's show it was going to be a matter of what Auburn Tiger was going to have his name called. But I think that when you start looking at Owen Papo and Anders Carlson having an opportunity, I think Tank Bigsby was going to be a steal for anywhere that he was going to go. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, I thought, was a phenomenal fit for his style of running and the versatility that he can bring the Jacksonville Jaguars. But five overall for Auburn, it's really not bad when you start looking at it. And the flip side of that is when you have 10 at Alabama and five at Auburn, of course, Darrell Luter from South Alabama has an opportunity to be selected also. So congratulations to him. And a lot of 49ers fans now in the area continue to, to flood in the yeah. free agency side of the NFL draft, the undrafted free agents. To me, when you can call your shot and pick what team you want to go to, of course, we were talking on Thursday, where was and how far would Will Levis drop off? And of course, he doesn't have to wait too long till he hears his name called, of course. But overall, I think that we were looking at Georgia also having 10 players selected. That's 25 within the last two years for Kirby Smart. And again, if you have any questions about why they're back-to-back national champions, just look at their draft selections and that entire defense. Feels like the entire defense is going to go to Philadelphia or has signed with Philadelphia. But 10 draftable players for the Georgia Bulldogs, 10 for Alabama. Here's a little shocker to me when you start looking at it, though. And I I think sometimes when you are successful, we talked about this on Friday on the show, Michael, TCU with eight players selected in the NFL draft, Michigan right there at nine. So when you start looking at who are the college football's Final four, of course, you have TCU in there. You have Michigan in there. You have Georgia in there. And these are the players. There's a reason, and it's not by fluke that you get there. Yeah, a couple of things I need to address. I'll I'll start with TCU because I do want to say something about the Auburn guys as well. Uh, but with TCU, I, you see the uh, what the Chargers GM said because uh, they double dipped on the TCU wide receiver. I didn't like the Quentin Johnston pick in the first round. I I can't remember the name of the other guy, but they they got the other TCU receiver later as well. Uh, and he said something along the line, and I think they got the TCU running back too. Uh, and he said something along the lines of, yeah, like we drafted a lot of TCU players. It's a great program. It's just like taking a lot of players from Alabama or Georgia. And, well, evidently uh, my man didn't watch the national championship where TCU was beaten by 58 points by Georgia because, man, it is not like ju- it is not just like taking a lot of players from Alabama or Georgia. Yes, TCU did have a great season, but, no, it is not just like taking a lot of players from Georgia or Alabama or really any SEC school for that matter. But, anyway, that all being said, uh, with Auburn, yeah, I thought Auburn uh, really had a great draft, honestly. Uh, Derek Hall going 37th overall, really, uh, you know, we were talking about the possibility of him going on the first night which i don't think anyone thought was really possible 
Uh, but 37th overall, it's like almost as good as a first-round pick. Tank Bigsby, you, you brought up how you love the fit. I love this fit in Jacksonville. He's going to pair up with ETN, little uh, smash and sizzle combination there with ETN and Bigsby. So they get him in the third round to help out Trevor Lawrence. They should have a fantastic running game now. Colby Wooden goes to the Packers in the fourth round. And, yeah, you, I was surprised with Owen Popo too. Uh, you know, obviously, like – teams were very varied on him like he's athletic but don't know if he has uh, you know has the film uh of an nfl linebacker so we'll see what happens there and then andres carlson does end up getting drafted obviously had an up and down career probably had his worst season this past year or so which is obviously not what you want to finish but you know the fact that he's daniel carlson's brother and and had a solid career at auburn gets him at least drafted so happy for uh andres carlson as well and then they get five players signed on free agent deals as well john samuel shanker at Guliota, shedrick jackson you know they, they auburn auburn had a very good draft all things considered for sure i think there's no question about what conference was definitely dominating we talked about the southeastern conference continuing to have the most players selected in the nfl draft and of course there's always been that question the last couple of years about the hbcu players being selected and Deion sanders talked a little bit about oh, that yesterday boy. as his jackson state only had one player selected in the NFL. It's kind of fallen that way the last couple of years, and I think that's why when you start looking at one of the reasons you have to get excited about the HBCU All-Star Showcase coming to Mobile, Alabama, and Ladd People Stadium in December, giving those young men a second set of eyes to where all the NFL teams and scouts can have a better opportunity to get to them under a central location under one roof but as a whole when you do look at Alabama and Auburn's players being dominated in in the NFL draft and then 62 total SEC players drafted I think the the biggest thing that everybody was looking at on Friday was definitely Will Levis and where he was going to wind up falling to and I thought probably maybe to the Rams is where I thought he was going to go ahead and find a selection. But, boy, was I wrong. And you look at Will finally having his name called by the Titans. It, it really kind of makes you wonder, as far as from a year ago, if you drafted a quarterback a year ago and then you turn around and you get one as early as they did, mm. were you not happy with that direction at all? Or do you just want to make sure that you have a loaded backup quarterback room? I think it kind of shows that the Titans are already giving up on Malik Willis, at least his prospects as a franchise quarterback, which is fine. Uh, I mean, he was, what, a third-round pick? And personally, I, I'm, I'm kind of with it from what I've seen. I don't think Malik Willis is, is going to be a good NFL quarterback is what it is there. I don't know. If Will, I don't think Will Levis is going to be a good NFL quarterback. They're in trouble because they have kind of the grossest quarterback room in in the in the league right now. And they got three quarterbacks. None of the three, I I believe, is going to be their franchise quarterback for the future. I mean, Tannehill is Tannehill at this point. He'll probably be their starter week one. Uh, but then you go Malik Willis and Will Levis. I I kind of think both of them stink. Uh, but we'll see what happens. That might be a bit bold on Will Levis, given that he hasn't taken an NFL snap. But Malik Willis, yikes. Uh, as for Hendon Hooker, I, I thought that was a perfect landing spot to go to Detroit. 
for him. Uh, it sounds like they're pretty committed to Jared Goff, so he kind of gets to sit and learn there, which is a good situation for him. How about Stetson Bennett going to the Rams? Now, I mean, see, that was that was one of the picks that I really – I thought Stetson would continue to fall. Yeah. And I thought that we were probably going to have to wait until 4 or 5 o'clock on Saturday evening before we heard Stetson Bennett's name called. And – then when it is called, you're like, oh, okay, oh, the Rams. Oh, Stetson. Yeah, oh. And, and it was weird. And, and if you look at why certain players fall in the draft, and it just so happens that the two that were really the three that were really focused on was Jalen with Philly. You didn't know where Carter was going to go. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of questions. Was he going to go five to Seattle? Was he going to stay at eight? Was he going to go nine? Of course, he goes to Philly. Outstanding situation. Then, of course, Levis, he decides, I'm going to stay at the house, and y'all can feel me from the house being drafted. And then, of course, Stetson Bennett was the other one that you really, with all his off-the-field situation, you can't argue with the fact that he was a national champion at Georgia and what he's been able to help the Bulldogs accomplish but the Rams decided to go ahead and roll the dice in and give them an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, and with their quarterback situation, you, you have to think Stetson Bennett is going to get on the field at some point. I, I don't know if Matthew Stafford's elbow is about to fall off or, or what. Uh, I mean, I don't think Stetson Bennett's going to be their week one starter at some point, but don't be surprised if Stetson Bennett is taking snaps in the NFL this season. I mean, there were people in the app, probably myself included, going into this season before uh, the 2022 season that thought Stetson Bennett could never take a snap in the NFL. I, that was kind of the general consensus. And then I think there have been people throughout the season who have denied the possibility that Stetson Bennett is going to play in the NFL. The reality is Stetson Bennett is going to play quarterback in the National Football League. In what capacity remains to be seen, uh, whether he's a career backup, we'll see. But, I mean, he's going to get a chance at some point to play for this Rams team again. Is he going to be their week one starter? No, probably not. Uh, but, again, Stafford is a guy who's getting older, who has tendonitis issues in his throwing arm. So, I mean, the path is kind of there for Stetson Bennett to at least play at some point. I don't think the Rams are going to be good this year. Like, I can see, like, a week 10 Stetson Bennett situation. Kind of be electric. I don't know if Stetson Bennett touches the field, but when you go ahead and I'm not going to say waste, but when you use – a fourth-round draft pick such as the Rams decided to do, that makes you wonder. And, you, again, we'd love to hear from you, 251-694-1055. Who had the best overall draft? Did your team address their needs and wants and concerns in the NFL draft? And what teams failed? Just flat out, you would laugh at their grade in the NFL draft. And when you start looking to me, Philadelphia overall by far had an opportunity of a lifetime to say, okay, we sewed up Jalen Hurts, but we're going to put some strong defensive guys around him and we're going to be Georgia 2.0 essentially is what you wind up seeing from the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll talk about that and more on the other side of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5.
Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner joining you on this Monday afternoon. And, of course, one of the great things about having the draft now in different locations Over 312,000 people attended the three-day event in Kansas City, of course. Nashville in 2019, pre-COVID, had over 600,000 on deck. And it'll be interesting to see what the numbers will wind up being. But it's just a great opportunity for the fans to come out and enjoy seeing their favorite players and their favorite team be selected. And I'm just excited to talk to Jim Nagy at right around 530 to continue to see over 100 or right at 100 senior bowl participants to hear their name called in the 2023 NFL draft. And that just speaks volumes that if you don't believe the draft starts here, then look no further than a hundred players We're right here in Mobile, Alabama in February for an opportunity to have their interview for and to chase their dream, Mike. Senior Bowl killed it, man. That draft truly does start in Mobile. To your point about the different cities, it is great that they started switching it up rather than having it in Radio City every year in New York. And, you know, as as cool as that is, uh, I think the the outdoor aspect and getting fans involved, like the Nashville one looked like man like on the nashville strip looked like the coolest thing ever still haven't had i haven't had an opportunity to attend a draft but you know the fact that they keep switching and having it all all these different cities it seems like you know every every year you get to showcase a different city it's very cool i I do like the way they're doing things now i agree with you there and what's also interesting and when you look to the saints and they go ahead and they get the senior bowl's most valuable player Quarterback Jack, yeah. Jake Hayner from Fresno State. I think they traded up for him, too. A- and he's probably one of the most unheralded quarterbacks in the entire 2023 draft. And I-, I think that, to me, sometimes you don't have to be that pro bowler. The expectations that are on a Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson are going to be enormous and tremendous. But... When you're Jake Hayner, you have an opportunity to come in and learn and 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 no pressure to be added to yourself. Yeah, that, that's kind of the perfect situation for a, a mid-round quarterback. You know there's a, a start. Well, you know, probably Jake Hayner wouldn't say that. He'd tell you he wants to play. But in terms of a guy who is not NFL ready week one, uh, you know, you want to be thrown behind Derek Carr, get the opportunity to learn, get the opportunity to get better. And let's face it, Derek Carr – yeah, he signed, what, a four-year contract? He's not going to be the Saints quarterback for the next decade. So if Jake Hanner stays around, learns a little bit, gets better, who knows? Maybe he could be the Saints quarterback of the future. Uh, the Saints qu- had a really quiet draft, I thought, but they, they, they made some some nice additions. I thought Brian Breesey was a good pick at the back end of the first round from Clemson. Isaiah Foskey's a good player out of Notre Dame. Uh, uh, Nick Saldaveri, the old Dominion tackle, was a nice pick. He was one of the better players left on the board on day three. And then you go and get Jake Hayner. So I, I thought they did a good job. Well, what was interesting to me is the Saints decided to go ahead and address defensive needs first. 
And that being on the defensive line, you look at a defensive tackle and a defensive end. That's how they have always built. So, and, and that's what that's what you have to do. I mean, and you're in that situation to where you have limited picks. And when you start again looking at the Power Five schools in the draft, without a draft pick, of course, in the SEC you just have that one school this year. It just so happens to be Vanderbilt. Pac-12 conference. You got to throw. You got to get in your weekly Vanderbilt shade. I, I, I hate that for Vanderbilt. I mean, you really do. You just want to see at least one. But I'll bet you they have a guy drafted next year. It, without question, they'll, they'll find one one player they can get it done for the had, Commodores. I don't know if they had a guy drafted the year before, honestly. Yeah, they did. I mean, it, it was one of those situations where the Commodores, you know, when you're when you're at the doormat. The same thing with Deion Sanders in the Pac-12. Colorado, even though he's inheriting and has gotten rid of 80% of his roster, they probably won't have that problem here in the near future as many four- and five-star athletes that want to go out to Boulder. But Arizona and Washington don't have any. Indiana with none out of the Big Ten. Big 12, Kansas with no selections. And Duke out of the ACC with no draft picks from their program now you have to lean on free agency and you're talking about being an undrafted free agent Cephas Johnson mm. from right here in Mobile Alabama Nissan? Davidson High School came into the studio with us yeah. to talk about his opportunity great kid we'll have an opportunity now to sling it around with the Minnesota Vikings very cool and Glad you have to, to be excited for him for sure and you know still waiting to hear about Carlton Marshall the NCAA's all-time leading tackler. And that's a young man who, again, has tremendous heart. And you start looking at Ryan Clark saying, hey, look, he was an undrafted free agent as well. Your dreams don't necessarily die if you are not drafted. But when you do have an opportunity to kind of call your shot and to say, where would I fit the best? I know when we talk, with someone from the New England Patriots tomorrow. You'll have Malik Cunningham, which from Louisville, who who is a tremendous quarterback. I don't know how happy you were to see Cunningham go oh, ahead yeah. and go to the Patriots. A little undrafted free agent. I think they actually gave Cunningham the highest undrafted free agent contract they've ever given to an undrafted free agent. So they, they wanted him pretty badly. Uh, you, you know, throw Cunningham on the roster. See what he can do. I, I, I love that addition. I mean, who, he's competing for a third-string spot with Trace McSorley. Like, well, why, why not? Bring in Malik Cunningham. Who know in a in a best case scenario he's he's our version of Lamar Jackson the guy's absolutely electric so I mean that's not gonna happen he's probably in all likelihood he'll be on the practice squad this year but why, you know why not bring him in sure when the Patriots decided to go ahead and draft a punter and a kicker mm. been how, a while since that happened and that does not happen often but again specialist in the NFL if you are a specialist. That's where you decide to go ahead and make your bread and make your money by being a specialist. And you don't know how valuable they are until you need that 47 or 48 yard field goal or until you need to pin them deep in territory. And your Patriots decide to take two off of the board. How'd you feel about that? Well, I mean, they traded up for a kicker in the fourth round with a couple guys I still wanted receiver-wise on the board. They got a couple late-round receivers that are, are certainly some intriguing prospects. Kayshawn Butte of LSU, guy uh, a lot of people around here will be familiar with. But, yeah, I mean, 
they needed a kicker and they needed a punter. So <laughs> it, w it was funny to see both go on the same day, but and a maybe a little bit early. But uh, the, the guy they drafted, Chad Ryland, was kind of the consensus best kicker left on the board. So I, I don't mind using the pick there. We'll hopefully uh, he's actually the kicker week one. You know, we'll see. They've, they've missed on kickers before. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, I trust Belichick to be able to draft the punter. Well, I, I knew I know this too. When you start looking at trying to determine or dictate where and who was going to be drafted, there was a record forty-three trades over the three-day period, and that surpasses the record of forty during the twenty nineteen draft. But forty-three changes in selections—that—that—that's that, just a, a type of number that. It makes it impossible to know where these general managers and what they're considering doing because right where you think there's a weakness or you think that you're going to be able to wait, you see somebody change that draft order. And 43 changes over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday definitely was historic. And we got started on day one, started shaking things up in round one. And they'll continue to see how all those tracks trades will shake themselves up throughout the entire season and looking forward to seeing the schedule release for next month as well the final draft here on wnsp 105.5 corey labount and michael Bronner. hi my name is sherman williams former running back for the university of alabama and the dallas cowboys and i wake up each morning listening to wnsp 105.5 The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner joining you this Monday afternoon. And, of course, we mentioned 10 NFL players came from the University of Alabama. 10 selected. Tied for the second most in school history. And you really thought it could have been just a tad bit higher. And probably, I thought maybe 12 would have an opportunity. And Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated joins us this afternoon on the final drive. Tony, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Absolutely blessed by the best, my friend. And we knew that Bryce Young was going to go number one and where everything else was going to fall into place. I don't think we expected the Texans to go ahead and trade up for Will Anderson Jr. But as soon as he jumps off of the board and you start looking at the rest of the Tide's draft, any surprises outside of Eli Ricks not really continuing to be happy and healthy in the Crimson Tides program should he have come back for one more year? I definitely think that Eli Ricks would have benefited from an extra year. He's got all the tools that NFL teams are looking for. He just dealt with some injury problems, and I think he also just has a little bit more development to go. I mean, he, he you know, he missed a lot of time with injuries, and he also switched uh, systems. And I think having a full year in one system where he's completely healthy would have just really benefited. I can't see him not being, you know, if he played up to his potential, which I, I think he would have, probably been a day two pick at, at, at the least. But to go, you know, not drafted is a, is a shame. I, the good news for him is, He's so talented that I, I really expect him to catch on. I know not every undrafted free agent does that, but I, I think 
if I was betting on, you know, any of the undrafted free agents, I think I bet, you know, pretty a lot on, on Eli Ricks making it. The other one that surprised me, too, is Emil Akiar Jr., another guy that dealt with injuries. Um, you know, I'm surprised he didn't get drafted. I think he's really athletic for an inside linebacker, or an inside lineman, uh, interior lineman, and, um, you know, he's a guy that's blocked for, you know, three different Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, he's got, like I said, that mobility. Um, he's got some power to his game. I, I was surprised not to see uh, Emil Ekier get drafted. The fortunate news for him is he's going back home to Indianapolis, and uh, he'll get to, you know, try out for, you know, his hometown Colts, so hopefully he makes it there. But, yeah, those two, I guess, kind of surprised me more than anything. From a historical situation, Alabama having the first offensive player and defensive player in Bryce Young and Will Anderson come off the board. And when you start looking at Brian Branch having an opportunity to go ahead and go early in round number two, he was probably expected to be a first-round guy who did fall overall to the Detroit Lions and the Detroit Lions and the Philadelphia Eagles, six players from Alabama, both on those rosters. Yeah, it's funny because speaking of the Lions, you know, you look at Jameer Gibbs, and I think he's the guy. I think most people would have projected it the other way around, where maybe Jameer Gibbs, just due to his position, uh, was going to drop out of the the first round, maybe just because of the running back positions not as valued anymore in the NFL. Uh, and then you'd have Brian Branch maybe going, you know, higher than expected. But it was the other way around. Um, I think, you know, what obviously helped Jameer Gibbs is just look at his athleticism and his big playability. And I think everyone wants that. And it doesn't matter if he's a running back or you put him at slot receiver. Or you, there's different ways you can play him. Uh, you know, you could, you could use him with another uh, running back on the field. You know, so there, there's a lot of things in the Elvin Kamara comparison with, with Gibbs just really – you know, uh, I think a lot of people they mix their mouth water in the NFL uh, realm. And you look at Brian Branch, it's kind of like, well, is he a safety? Is he a cornerback? He's, you know, he's kind of that star position. I think teams would have liked him to be a little bit heavier, especially if he was going to run the 40 time that he ran. Uh, but then when you look at his tape, I just think that, you know, you're getting a, a real baller in, in Brian Branch. He's a hard hitter. Um, he's athletic. He, he can make plays. He's all over the place, you know. So I, I don't think that production is just, you know, circumstantial or coincidental. Um, I think he's a really good player. And sometimes, you know, those test numbers don't really display what you see on the field. And Brian Branch has done that against high-level competition. So I expect him to be able to do it in the NFL as well. Get back to the draft in a second, but I wanted to make sure I asked you about this because you would come out with a report really on the day of the draft, I believe it was, uh, pretty much on Jalen Milrow's uh, quote, basically after the transfer of Tyler Buckner, essentially saying that he's not going anywhere, Whether where there was a lot of speculation that he might be the guy to leave. Is it really going to be a situation where none of these guys leave and I guess we have a quote-unquote three-man race and five people in the quarterback room? Yeah, well, I had spoken, like you said, I had spoken to Jalen Miller's dad, and he said that, you know, Jalen Miller had no plans of leaving. And, and when you look at it now, after the, you know, spring window closed, it really doesn't make sense for anybody in any of the five quarterbacks to leave. When you look at it, Jalen Miller's a redshirt sophomore. If he leaves now, he'll have to sit out. Um, so 
why would you why would you even waste a year? You know, um, when you look at Tyler Buckner just got here, so I, she's, he's not leaving. And then the same thing with with Ty Simpson, um, you know, coming in. Uh, is he really going to? You know, I, I don't necessarily see him leaving. All three of those guys are in competition for the starting job, so I think they they like their chances uh, this fall. I, I, I think all three of those guys are confident in winning the job. So. Um, the only thing I could see is if, you know, one of Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow was told, hey, you're the number three guy, you're just not going to play this year, then I could see why you would want to maybe choose a new program and develop in that new program whether that, rather than waiting at Alabama as the third guy. If you're not going to play anyways, it might make sense to play at a different school. But even then, I don't necessarily buy that logic 100% because by choosing a school now, you're limiting your options, you know, when you could just choose a school in December. So I would not actually be surprised if Alabama goes into the season with five starting quarterbacks. Or no, not, not, not five starting quarterbacks, sorry, five scholarship quarterbacks, just because it doesn't make sense for any of them to leave. Yeah, I agree when that portal window closed on Sunday and you didn't see anyone's name jump out of there. It, I think that there's always a first and of course the last time that Alabama kept four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster what I do believe was in 2019. So for to have a fifth on the roster I think that it's it's really unprecedented but in the portal system you kind of it's subtraction by addition and addition by subtraction. Of course, if you if you bring in a quarterback, a quarterback's going to leave. But I think that that's what's so intriguing going into this offseason with this Alabama Crimson Tide roster is the fact that you do have five to choose from. And coming up, you have Middle Tennessee that you're focused on trying to find the best out of those five who's going to get the most reps. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I don't. I don't think that uh, whoever starts against Middle Tennessee is just pencil him in as a starter for the whole season. I, I, there might be a case where it's not decided by week one, and you, and you have to use that Middle Tennessee game to feel things out. And then, you know, you probably start making your decision Texas week uh, at the latest. I, there comes a point where you have to decide on a quarterback or you have none. But uh, I don't necessarily think it might it might not be by week one. I, you know, I it's that close. We'll see how the fall goes, but but yeah, I, I, it's it's going to be interesting. And then you know when you look at it, when you start talking about the attrition, I think that that will probably come in December when the portal opens up again and we've had a full season. And then I wouldn't be surprised maybe if you know three quarterbacks leave. You know, but uh, you know as of as of the fall, I think it's just a matter of everyone just trying to continuously fight for their spot. I think competition is great, and, and iron sharpens iron in that situation where you do have tremendously talented athletes, whether it's at the quarterback position or on down the roster at Alabama. When you start looking at the NFL roster, D'Amico Ryans, a former linebacker at Alabama, now has an opportunity to see Will Anderson Jr. be at defensive end, Christian Harris a year ago, and also now Henry Toa Toa is also a part of that Texans organization. Do you think D'Amico being a former Alabama guy really helped 
with the decision-making process in regards to saying, hey, we want and we do like Henry Toa Toa? Maybe. I mean, you know, I, I think that obviously he's going to have a relationship with Nick Saban and he's going to have a trust in his former coach. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe that, you know, played into it as well. Uh, but, you know, he's been involved, you know, in the program and he trusts Alabama. So, uh, you know, he also knows the standard that Alabama holds itself to. So perhaps that, that could be something. But, uh, you know, I – I think also he's just a good evaluator of defense. I mean, you know, he's been a defensive coordinator. He, you know, he's really good at it. That's why he got the, the Texans job. And I think he sees probably someone that's a smart kid, um, probably needs to work on his tackling ability and be more consistent in that realm. But, you know, Henry Toto is a very smart linebacker, very athletic linebacker, kind of your modern-day guy that you want at that position. If you can get him to play on a more consistent basis, I, I think that, He's got a lot of the tools you're looking for. Tony Sakala is managing editor for Tide Illustrated. And as far as we've talked a little bit about the depth now at Alabama, when you start looking at the 2024 draft, I think that that's something that who wants, who's going to be that next Alabama guy? Because the disappointing thing for a lot of Alabama fans is knowing that you did tie Georgia for 10 Alabama players who were drafted, and they only come away with a, a national championship in Bryce Young's freshman year. So that that's, that's unfortunate. And will the tide literally change moving forward next year? I think there's a lot of questions on this this roster, you know, and it, you, you had some problems last year, and you, you look at the trajectory of where the team's going. Uh, but I think every team's different, and I don't think last year's problem necessarily translates into this year's problem. You know, you look at some of the players that Alabama lost last year, and you know, you start thinking, oh gosh, how are they going to do without these players? But you got to think Alabama will be stronger at different spots. You know, I mean, Alabama's going to have a better offensive line. You know. Uh, they'll probably have more consistent play from the running back position, um, even though the running back position wasn't a problem last year. Um, you know, you might have, you know, better play up front uh, in the defensive line. So there's different, there's different question marks and different, you know, concerns for every roster, you know. So are things going to be tough for Alabama in certain spots? Sure, and there's a lot of uncertainties. And you look at this team, and it's not a team, I guess, that you would look at and say, uh, oh, this team definitely has to win a title. You know, this is, Alabama's a lock, because they're not. But I, I, don't, I do think that they're a contender, and I do think that there's plenty to like about this Alabama team. And, it, you know, you can find holes in different, uh, different programs. So uh, I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot to like here. And if Alabama can figure out the quarterback position i think it's in pretty good shape that's a big if but I, you know i think they're in good shape maybe a little bit of a reach but what do you think of the cameron latou to san francisco pick at the end of the third round yeah you know you, you mentioned at the top of the show that uh yeah it was a surprise to see alabama only have 10 i actually thought that alabama would have 10 but i you know maybe the 10 that i picked weren't, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily sure that Kim Latou would, if you told me that somebody was going to slip off the draft, I thought maybe it'd be him and maybe it'd be D'Amico Ryan. I uh, know D'Amico Ryan, I mean, DeMarco Harris. Uh, uh, you know, but like, uh, um, 
sorry, DeMarco Hellams, I'm losing my, my mind here. But uh, those two players got drafted, and, you know, you got Eli Ricks and uh, Emil Ekior didn't get drafted. Um, it was a, I think it was a reach for Cam too, maybe. But, you know, we saw what he could do at Alabama. He was a productive offensive player. Alabama doesn't usually utilize the tight end as much, so maybe in another program he would have had better numbers. And there was a string of tight ends coming off the board, and I think San Francisco obviously liked what they saw in Cameron Latou, and they needed a tight end and, and wanted to, to grab him. Um, but, but yeah, I, thought, I was a little bit surprised by that. I, I didn't actually have him. I either had him as a late-round pick or somebody that might not get drafted. So for him to go as high as he did was, was definitely a surprise for me. There were plenty of surprises in the NFL draft. I mean, a historic number of trades and jockeying up for position 43, as a matter of fact. So when you try to find out where you were going to stand from a fan standpoint, playing the GM role, it's always tough. But what you can't argue with is at the end of the day, 10 Alabama Crimson Tide players were selected, tied for the second most in school history and that that's not too shabby when you start looking at crook recruiting moving forward and tony how can people catch all of your great coverage of the alabama crimson tide moving forward as alabama does move now into their summer and off-season fifth quarter program yeah besides uh, titleshare.com or you can go to alabama.rivals.com if that's easier to remember it'll take you to the same place you can follow us at Tide Illustrated on Twitter, or you can follow me at Tony Sucal underscore Sucalis on Twitter as well. Tony Sucalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated. Thank you so much for your information this afternoon. Look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, no problem. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And again, congratulations to Cephas Johnson and Jalen Wayne, respectively. One of former South Alabama football player and Cephas Johnson III having an opportunity to have that unrestricted free agent contract with Minnesota. And, of course, Jalen Wayne to the Buffalo Bills and being part of that Bill Mafia, catching passes from one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. We'll definitely see Jalen Wayne have an opportunity to live his dream in the NFL in South Alabama with Darrell Luter. Yeah. Having an opportunity to be selected in the NFL draft three consecutive years now for South Alabama, having a player hear their name called and achieve dreams in the NFL. And I think that's awesome. Also, that's how you build a program. By the way, caller told me, caller made a good point raised to me before Tony Sakalas had to have to uh, mention this as for, we were ragging on Vanderbilt a little bit before for not having a player drafted. In all fairness, we did pluck their offensive tackle, who who was a day two pick from them, and Tyler Steen to the Philadelphia Eagles. So, 
you know, then if we want to get into the old Jalen Hurts OU Bama debate or Jameer <laughs> Gibbs Georgia Tech Alabama debate, technically Vanderbilt can uh, can take a victory on that because he would have been drafted if if he even if he had stayed at Vanderbilt. So good for Vandy drafted player Tyler Steen out of Alabama. Definitely can can be claimed by the Commodores as far as where his last school was. I think that's the graphic that everyone tends to grab to. But when you have a degree from Vanderbilt, you can hang your hat on that as well. So the Commodores, you'll give them one, Michael Bronner. So that'll just leave a couple of other schools that will not have had a player drafted in this year's draft from a Power 5 standpoint. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back with Brooks Austin. And the Georgia Bulldogs, 10 players selected also in this year's NFL draft. 25 in the last two. Kirby Smart getting things done in Athens. We'll talk to Brooks Austin next. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. And here it is Monday wrapping up the NFL draft. And, of course, we had great NBA action last night. Steph Curry scoring a historic 50 points in game number seven. And that's setting up the Lakers versus Golden State matchup. LeBron versus Curry. Everyone's looking forward to that one that will be starting up tomorrow. But finishing up from Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with the NFL draft, of course, 62 SEC players selected. And that's just a historic number. The last probably 17 or 18 years, the SEC has led in draft picks. And of course, Brooks Austin, Lead editor for Dogs Daily jumps in with us here on the final draft as Georgia had 10 players selected along with Alabama having 10 and Georgia 25 within the last two years leading the way for sure. Absolutely, gentlemen. They've been loading them up. 25 guys, like you said, in the last two classes. And I think I think it's 32 total from that 2021 uh, national title team, if you include all the guys that transferred out that end up getting picked. Like a prime example of that's like a guy like Tyreek Stevenson. Tyreek Stevenson was a high second round draft pick from Miami. He was originally recruited by the University of Georgia. Um, so there, there are, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of guys that, you know, Amir Speed was a sixth round draft pick by the Patriots. Um, he, tra- he transferred out in Michigan State. There are several different examples like that of guys that didn't even finish at Georgia that were still NFL quality players. And I, I think overall the SEC number kind of speaks to 
the NFL is kind of just putting priority in, you know, the, the roots of kind of where talent has been the last, I would say, 10 years of, of college football. It's been really, really, I mean, even if you look at just the national titles, it's been Southeastern schools. So it kind of makes sense and checks out over overall, not just Georgia. But if you look at Georgia in, in particular, it, it's the recruiting success playing out. It, it, it's obvious. Well, you mentioned the recruiting process being obvious. Georgia with 10 draftees, Michigan with nine, TCU with eight. That common denominator being all those colleges played in the college football playoffs. And also, Brooks, an interesting number or an interesting fact from this weekend, Kirby Smart received another job. And that new job is with the Philadelphia Eagles as the director of scouting because the Philadelphia Eagles just went all in on Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, they, they tried to hire Glenn Schumann last offseason. If you guys don't recall, I remember taking multiple phone calls from radio stations up in Philly asking about Glenn Schumann because he was a sudden name that had popped up. They, they clearly kind of respect what's going on uh, defensively at, at Georgia, and it checks out. Even if I, I went back and watched some – Eagles film because you start seeing names like that pop up and I think it's five in the last two drafts of guys that they drafted off that defense or from that roster so like when it gets to that many football players you got to wonder why I went and actually watched some of their film the other day and it makes sense they're running the same four two five, um you know kind of nickel based defense out of a you know semi odd front looking defense it's a similar defense similar terminology similar scheme uh, and skill sets required to do so. So it kind of checks out from that standpoint, but it also checks out from like, I mean, Georgia's been recruiting nothing but five stars, essentially four and five stars, high blue chippers since to about 2017. I mean, Kirby Smart was hired in December, 2015, the 2016 signing class wasn't really his. That 2017 class and on has been nothing but top three rated classes. So eventually if you develop those guys into two time national title winning football caliber rosters and, and development, you're going to load up NFL draft picks just like they have. Now, they've done it at an unprecedented rate, but they've I, I bet you could argue they've recruited at an unprecedented rate as well. Talking to Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily. Uh, Brooks, Darnell Washington was a guy who was talked about this could sneak into the first round in a really tight end, rich class, and then I wouldn't say he had like a free fall. He still went on day two, but it seemed like tight end after tight end was coming off the board. Was it just a medical concern that like we didn't really hear about that teams might have known about that we didn't? Like, what was going on with Darnell, and it was it just a, a perfect situation for him to land with uh, George Pickens and the Steelers now? So I like to use this expression because he is this big. Um, do y'all remember Joel Embiid's draft process? How oh, he yeah. was kind of getting dinged for a Liz Frank foot injury? Like there was a broken bone in his foot. And everybody was freaking out because he was so big and his feet are so large that these tiny bones in his feet were breaking or that they had shown signs of breaking. That's one thing that's happened to Darnell. His, I mean, he's had multiple foot injuries since his time at the University of Georgia. The weird one that popped up, and that was known, like people who know and covered the program like myself, we knew about that. And, and those have been reported. I mean, it was uh, right before Clemson in 2021. And there was another one in the spring of 2022 leading up to his, his final year at the University of Georgia. Those were known things about him. The knee swelling at the combine was out of nowhere. I, I don't even, I, that, that's not none of my reporting. Those were like NFL guys, like the guys that do the NFL reporting coming out with, you know, there were some questions about knees and there was some swelling at the NFL combine. I've never heard of that. That was weird to me. I was even talking to a source the other day. I was like, knee swelling, dude, at the combine too? Like, He's supposed to be lighter than he ever was. That dude probably played at like 280 
uh, during his college football career. He showed up at the combine 267, and he had fluid on his knees. That's weird. I mean, it's just just weird. I'm not saying it's like a concern, but it was weird, and it was a concern to a lot of football teams, and it explained the drop, um, I would imagine, in his draft process. Stetson Bennett was someone that a lot of people weren't sure where he would go at all. Anywhere from a third to seventh round pick, possibly for a guy who has done nothing but bring national championships to the Bulldogs program. And Stetson winds up becoming a Los Angeles Ram with another former Bulldog. And I think that Bulldog to Bulldog connection in the quarterback room can help his growth tremendously as an NFL quarterback. No, it definitely can. I mean, I, I, it was funny to listen. Not funny. It was interesting to read Les Snead's comments after um, drafting Stetson, how, like, that was the only quarterback they wanted to draft in this draft. It was the only guy that they could afford to take. Um, and I don't know if that was his exact wording, but, I mean, he basically stated that they wanted to draft a guy that they knew was talented but also knew that would not cause any issues in that room because they do have a veteran, a guy that they signed that's on the back end of his deals and, and is very expensive, right? So, you don't want to draft some young hotshot that's going to come in there and demand to start or expect to start, rather, um, like, a, like a Will Levis, for example. That would not fit. That would not mesh at Los Angeles, despite the fact that his skill set certainly does. So why not draft a football player that certainly does mesh with the, the room out there while also it could be a highly developmental uh, quarterback in your, your system. I mean, that's a very similar, you know, heavy boot action type of system that he was running um, at the University of Georgia, and, and you've seen those kind of coaches, the, the Shanahan coaching tree, the more athletic their quarterback becomes, the more extended their pocket becomes. Like Matthew Stafford's not going to be throwing balls outside the numbers, but Stetson Bennett certainly will if he becomes the quarterback in that system. So it kind of changes how you would um, – or develops further. You would run that West Coast kind of heavy, you know, rollout, ball in the quarterback – or ball in the belly of the back type of offense that is ran nowadays in the NFL. So I think it's a good spot for him. Um, the most interesting thing to me for Stetson, and there, I think the, the reason for the slide, if you will, the reason why he was always projected to be third to seven, somewhere around that range is I don't think anybody can get a read on that dude. We did an hour with him on our, on our channel and did an interview with him, and I left the hour. I, we, he gave us 90 minutes. After 90 minutes, I had no – I was none the wiser on Stetson Bennett. I had no clue if he liked me, disliked me, had a good time, had a bad time. I had nothing. I couldn't get a read on the guy, and I think that's, that's part of his genius. But I think that's also part of the reason why people can't really get him because you don't get him. You know what I'm saying? Were you surprised to see Nolan Smith fall to the back end of the first round? I mean, a guy like Will McDonald gets drafted or uh, in the middle end by the Jets. I mean, similar position there. I, I thought it was odd how far. And then, of course, he ends up in Philadelphia anyway. So so the the Iowa State reach right there with the Jets, I, I couldn't really explain to you. They're, I mean, that's their eval. I didn't really get heavy deep into that guy's profile. But – in terms of Nolan Smith, Nolan Smith to me was a 28 to 42 football player. <clears throat> I think that's exactly what he was. To me, I thought I valued his skill set at six two and three quarters, 240, 245 pounds. Okay, at that skill set and that length at that position, I don't care how well he tests, he cannot be a top 10, top 15 evaluation. He just can't. The the, the guys that are top 10, top 15 evaluations look like Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. That joker is an avatar. He's 6'6", 265 pounds, has got 84-inch arms. Like, that's what top 10 picks look like. Um, Noah Smith is not that. He plays like that. The tape, the, the, the run tape is excellent. The, the uh, first and second down tape is awesome. The, the coverage tape at, at his position is awesome. He is a developmental pass rusher that has tremendous amounts of twitch. 
all of that package is into a top 30 evaluation for me, top 35 evaluation. I thought it was so funny, guys, that his entire comp leading up to the draft and during the draft was Hassan Reddick, right? Everybody kept throwing around, Hassan Reddick, Hassan Reddick, Hassan Reddick. Well, Hassan Reddick was a top 15 pick, and he had all the expectations of the top 15 pick in Arizona, and he flamed out, and they didn't extend his contract, and now he's on his second team, and he's doing great in years four and five. And had he been a thirty, uh, you know, a thirtieth overall pick, maybe he doesn't have to find a second team. You see what I'm saying? Because he doesn't come with those expectations on a bad football team. He gets to do what Noah Smith's now going to get to do, which is slide into a football team that is maybe another guy away from being Super Bowl champions, um, and just gets to play a role instead of all the roles. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of another guy away from being Super Bowl champions, was Jalen Carter to Philly just the best fit in the draft, pretty much? I, I I don't think I, I got in some, I'm not in some trouble, but Atlanta fans wanted him to take him right around here in this market. They wanted him to take Jalen Carter, and my thought process was like, yeah, he's definitely valuable at eight. You probably should have taken him over a running back. He's going to impact your roster more. But maybe you're not set up culturally for something like that. Not that he is a problem, but Jalen Carter. I think the the I don't know who it was said. It might might have been Mel Kiper or someone on the ESPN desk, or maybe it was Daniel Jeremiah. I think it was most likely Daniel Jeremiah, based off my listening habits. But someone was saying, look, Jalen Carter is a follower. He's like, if you put him in a room full of people that he trusts and will follow, he will be fine. But if he is the guy, if he just gets to walk around and do the hell he wants. He's probably not going to do the best things that are for, like for him to be the best football player possible. But if he's in, surrounded in a room full of football players that are doing that on a consistent basis and demand respect out of him, um, like the Jordan Davises, like the Nolan Smiths, um, then he's going to be fine. And I think he's going to be fine, like the Nicobe Deans as well. It's not just that they got great Georgia football players; they got great leaders, man. They got they got guys in that organization that like they don't they don't slack off. They they show up every single day and do the right thing. And, and on top of that, they're five stars. So, so I think that's also why teams keep going to programs like Georgia and Alabama. You don't come out of there as a five-star and have success unless you are a professional and you are already cut like a professional. Howie Roseman, the Eagles general manager, made mention that Florida is his alma mater and Florida would probably get mad at him, but his the owner turned around and said, you want to win, don't you? So that lets you know right there that they're going to get the best and the best available for their franchise, especially a franchise coming off a Super Bowl appearance. And Kenny McIntosh going to the Seattle Seahawks, I thought was a great draft pick because he's one of those backs that ran extremely hard during his time down here in Mobile at the Reese's Senior Bowl. It was interesting to see them slide or see him rather slide all the way down to the seventh round. I, I thought that was a, a third to fifth round football player. Maybe there were some some questions about longevity there. If you, if you followed Kenny's career throughout his college career, he, and he never got like primary load carries um, until his senior year. And even when he wasn't getting primary load carries, he was kind of getting dinged, like dinged up, like hamstrings here, uh, shoulder here, there. You know what I mean? Like ankle, ankle roll here. So it's never been like a, a full 12-game film set from uh, Kenny, whereas, you know, some of these other backs, I mean, they, they, they do all the stuff that Kenny does, and they've done it um, on a more consistent basis. But I don't think they've done it as highly as Kenny McIntosh has. I think Kenny McIntosh is a second- or third-round talent that has fourth, fifth, sixth-round injury history and production, and those are excellent, excellent late-round draft picks. Those are the types of guys that make your roster and make your roster whole, particularly at the running back position, gentlemen. 
Well, the great thing about the NFL draft, when you start looking at the numbers, Brooks, again, Georgia over the last two years with more draftees than any other institution, including the University of Alabama, and they're continuing to recruit four- and five-star guys, and ultimately when you're able to go ahead and get them part of the process to where not only you come on campus a four- or five-star, you leave a pro. You made mention to that. That's the difference between Georgia's program, Alabama's program, and the rest of the country and why 62 SEC players have been drafted because it just means more in this conference. Brooks, how can people follow you and all your great coverage of everything that you have through the dogs? Yeah, you can just hit me up on Twitter at Brooks Austin BA um, or just search Brooks Austin. There's a variety of places to find me. I got written stuff. I got YouTube stuff. We got video stuff. We got podcast stuff. However you want to find football, you can find it. Just search me. Appreciate you, George. Appreciate you. We'll see y'all later. No question about it. Brooks Austin joining us this afternoon here on the final drive want to thank him for all his info look forward to talking to him again about the recruiting process as he's also a recruiting analyst for si all american the final drive with Corey labounty and michael brauner joining you this monday afternoon we'll be right back hey this is amari cooper you're listening to sports radio wnfc Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And we were talking about the success of the Alabama Crimson Tide along with the Georgia Bulldogs that ultimately lead to an organization selecting as many players as they do from particular organizations. And I know that we mentioned Howie Roseman go ahead and having an opportunity to talk about that. And we will get to that clip a little later as to why he said what he did about the Alabama and Georgia players that are being drafted in that situation. And, of course, as always, you have John Rachetti, who does have the golf report brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Product and Services. John Rachetti, good afternoon. How are you doing, my friend? Man, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Corey? Absolutely this blessed by the best. Now. Thank you for asking, my friend. I, I, a little golf action this weekend went on, and you were mentioning, I know that our buddy Michael Bronner loves Rom, and yeah. he's he's got a purse load of money that it's early in the season, but he's already being weighed down by the amount of money that he's winning. Well, he's already set a PGA Tour record for earnings. I think he's hovering about $14.5 million, somewhere in that vicinity, give or take a hundred grand or so. But uh, no, he's, it's, it, I mean, we're only in April. Uh, it's, uh, excuse me, start of May now anyway, but through April. And, uh, you know, that's why he's the number one player in the world. And, uh, you know, let's give credit to Tony Finau. He had him, John Rahm, trying to trace him down, and he couldn't do it. And Tony, Ruma, Tony Finau ends up winning the event down in, uh, Mexico, and it's his fourth PGA Tour win. I think he's got a couple. You know, it's only a couple guys won in the, the multiple wins this year. Him and Roy, him and uh, Rory, and also to uh, John Rahm, that won twice already this year. So uh, the guys, Tony Finau is a really good player. He's a better person, and you know, I had a chance to talk to him in New Orleans last year, 
um, for about 45 minutes. And I tell you, I left after that conversation, me and him one-on-one, he gave me the time of day. And I'm a huge Tony Fino fan. And I don't know if you guys know, but he was like two hours after he won, he was caddying for his kids. They got, apparently they got a, they got a par three golf course near the course they were playing in Mexico. And he was out there caddying for his kids. You're talking two hours after you won a PGA Tour event, he's out there with his kids caddying. So that just shows you the character of Tony Fino, and he's due to win a major championship. Maybe it could be the PGA Championship here in a couple weeks, the U.S. Open. Who knows? But I would say next in line that, uh, you know, Tony Fino is probably a guy who does not have a major championship that I would put my money on to win one. Fino, the family, man. John, we'll get into this a little bit more on the show tonight. Because uh, I definitely am gonna bring it up and and maybe uh, enrage Danny and maybe maybe even Neil a little bit if if he's on the show because this will this will really get Neil going. But I, I I'm just gonna say it like Rom is entering prime Tiger category. He 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 is playing that. He should what twenty nine on the front nine this week. It, it, it's ridiculous yeah. what he's doing every week. Well, he is. I mean, he's that's why he's the number one player in the world. I mean, he's the real deal. He seems that he always shows up. For the most part, he's always in. I mean, look at Tiger Woods through all the years. He'd always be in there. Even though he didn't win, he'd be, you know, he'd be he'd be knocking on the door. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to put him on uh, quite yet as the Tiger Woods mantle yet. Uh, he's got a long way to go to get there. But uh, he's young. He's good. And uh, I think, you know, um, the sky's the limit for the guy. I mean, he's got, what, two majors now? I mean, it's just, you know, I, can he get to double-digit wins oh, yeah. in majors? Uh, it's going to be a great question, and uh, hopefully he, he's the best player in the world. A lot of people talk about Rory, but my money's with right now, today, day in and day out, John Rahm is the best player in the world. Can't argue with that. The numbers and the money doesn't lie either, and tonight I know you'll have that to talk about and much more on your Miller Lite John Rochetti show coming up immediately following the final drive. And will you be live tonight, John? Yeah, we're going to be live. We're going to be at uh, the Felix's Fish Camp. Always a great time at the camp. We'll be there. It's a gorgeous Monday today. And uh, hopefully good luck to all our high school uh, golfers. Uh, we'll be getting reports in as they, the road to the state high school championship going on. We'll get an upward, uh, report on all our local boys and girls, how they're doing. And, and hopefully they can move on to the next uh, chapter and to hopefully make it to the state championship here in a few weeks. So keep your fingers crossed. We wish the best for all these young athletes and uh, as they continue to prosper and grow and grow the game. So looking forward to uh, it's going to be a great show tonight. John Rochetti, thank you for your time. And we will be talking to you here in about an hour and a half. All right, guys, take care. Michael, of course, with golf going on this weekend, a lot of NBA action, that went on as well as well as major league baseball bryce harper cleared by the philadelphia phillies after tommy john surgery will be a designated hitter tomorrow it's pretty impressive considering he's less than five months removed from tommy john surgery That's, that feels a little soon hopefully hopefully uh hopefully he's all right good for bryce though i'll, tr- I'll trust the doctor's words on that coming up next here on the final drive, Brandon Silvers. He played in an XFL semifinal game, had a up-and-down season with injuries, 
but his team still had an opportunity in the semifinals to play for the XFL championship. Came up a little short, but we'll talk to him about his inaugural season in the XFL coming up next here on The Final Drive. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock at Fry Cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And our next guest, Brandon Silvers, former Gulf Shores quarterback, of course, had a wonderful collegiate career playing for the Trojans of Troy and then having an opportunity to play in the inaugural XFL season for the Houston Roughnecks. The Roughnecks finished the season 7-3 and three and lost in the semifinals to Arlington, the Renegades. Tough for Brandon because when you look at Houston having defeated Arlington already twice this year and could have had an opportunity to play for the XFL championship the first time coming up ever. Brandon still had a phenomenal season, over a 1,000 yards thrown for and, of course, 10 touchdowns. And Brandon joins us here on the final drive. Good afternoon, Brandon. How are you doing, my friend? Doing pretty good. How about y'all? Man, absolutely blessed by the best here in Mobile, Alabama. And it's wonderful weather in Gulf Shores and Orange Beach, Alabama, if, you know, getting ready to hit the month of May. But I know that this week, the semifinals against the Renegades didn't go the way that you all had wanted it to, but a tremendous inaugural debut nonetheless for yourself and having an opportunity to see the XFL and Dwayne The Rock Johnson's vision get off the ground. Yeah, it was fun, uh, especially the first half of the season, but, you know, kind of battled through some injuries in the last half of the season. So, uh, you know, just back healthy now, and, you know, I'll be, I'll be back down in Orange Beach soon, probably next week. Well, Brandon, when you start looking at the first season and the rule differences and just getting acclimated to playing football once again, people say once you learn how to ride a bike, you don't forget to do it. You don't forget how to do it. But having an opportunity to extend your football life and career in the XFL, talk to us about that transition. And now that your first season is over, how you expected it? Did it go as planned in regards to having the personnel around you and how much fun it was to play football once again? Yeah, I probably – First half is definitely a lot better than the second half, like I said, with injuries. But, you know, that's just football. That's just life. So, you know, got to battle through them. But, you know, I had a, had a fun time. Uh, we had great teammates. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens on the you know next chapter. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed my time. Brandon Silver is having an opportunity to play against the Arlington Renegades this past week in the semifinals of the XFL. And, just all of the rule changes, you and A.J. McCarron both being from down here along the Gulf Coast, I think just put a very interesting spin on the XFL and the different rules and the visibility and the access that as fans we had an opportunity to see. Was it different for you as a player also? Because I know this is kind of your second stint, but not in the revitalized XFL. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we did a lot of that stuff, sideline reporters in 2020 with the in-game interviews and stuff like that. So I was acclimated to that. Um, you know, I was ready for that for this time around. So, you know, it's kind of the same stuff we were doing back in 2020, which is great for the fans. You know, it's cool, you know, watching the actual games and seeing it from the TV as well. So, you know, obviously the season turned out the way we thought. You know, I wouldn't think we'd be done by now. I think we'd be getting ready for championship game down in San Antonio. But, you know, that doesn't always work out the way you want it to. But, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed the season for sure. Brandon, playing for Coach Wade Phillips, uh, how great was it in your career just to have the opportunity to play for a coach who's really been through it all when, when, when you talk about the game of football? Yeah, he's been coaching, and I know, in the NFL for 42 years, and uh, it's cool to be around a guy like that. I mean, he's a first and foremost a player's coach. You know, really, he, he knows the game. He knows what the players are going through. And, you know, really, he took care of us the whole season. So, and that was just great to be able to be coached by him. Well, if you had to pick a winner of this first XFL championship that's going to be held, of course, you had firsthand experience seeing this Arlington team, and I believe Coach Stoops is the head coach there. But they have a sub-500 record, 4-6. and six. They're coming in against D.C. at 9-1, and one, the defenders. Who are you giving the heads up to? I'm looking at the odds. D.C. favored by six this Saturday in the championship game in San Antonio. Who do you like? I would def I have buddies on both teams, but I will definitely put my money on the D.C. defenders for sure if I could. So, you know, I definitely would go with D.C. They've been the best team all year long. So, you know, Arlington has been playing better as of late. Um, but, you know, I'd go with D.C. for sure. Brandon Silver's joins us this afternoon on the final drive and Brandon when you look at the growth from your time coming from Gulf Shores to to make that decision to play at Troy and then have an opportunity to pursue your dreams in the NFL and now in the XFL talk about the process especially when you see the 2023 draft just concluding and what must have been going through quarterbacks like Will Levis's mind when he goes from round one to round two, or Anthony Richardson's mind when he hear his he hears his name called as the fourth overall pick when a lot of people thought that he would drop further than that. Yeah, for sure. You know that's just that's a tough position to be in. Um, you know Will Levis could have been the fourth overall pick and he drops down to the second a second round. So. No, that just sucks, you know, especially when you got the camera on you all night. You can't really seem upset or even though you are, you know, it's just, I mean, he's still getting an opportunity at the end of the day. You know, he might, might have lost out on a little money, but, you know, he's still getting an opportunity with the Titans. So, you know, he's, he got drafted, and you know, that's what he should be excited about. Without question there, Brandon Silvers joining us. Again, his team falls a little bit short in the XFL semifinals this weekend as – Arlington defeats Houston, and it's one of those times to where it's hard to beat a team three times, and I know that it just wasn't you guys' best night, and even listening and watching to the commentators on the game, I think the Renegades, like you just mentioned, got hot at the right time, and if there was anything that you felt you guys could have done differently in that game, what would it have been on Saturday? You know, I'll keep my comments to myself on what happened. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it just 
they they just play they just play better. You know, we beat them the week before. You know, handily. So I think we really just thought we were just going to blow by them, and they had a, another thing coming, and you know they looked on us pretty well. So you know, a lot of stuff that I like to say, but I don't keep it to myself. I understand that, Brandon, totally, that, you know, you just have to be a professional and, and, and move yeah. forward with that. And, of course, we would have loved to have seen you playing in the inaugural XFL championship in San Antonio. And, again, it's a team sport to where the team didn't find a way to win that game. But moving forward, Brandon, are you going to continue to hopefully find yourself on a, as a free agent in the NFL, do you want to continue to play football beyond what you did this year? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, hopefully a couple of teams call and get some workouts in. And if not, you know, I just I enjoy still playing. Um, my family still enjoys traveling and watching me play. So, and I'll play as long as my phone keeps ringing. Big Troy's Jake Andrews had an opportunity to big center. He is now a New England Patriot. How happy were you to see one of your Troy Trojans go off the board, especially a center, an offensive lineman who takes care of you? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm good buddies with uh, Jake. Um, I, I didn't play with him, but I remember hosting him and Gunner and a couple other guys on their visit to my last weekend in Troy before we went down to New Orleans well, in 2017. So I texted him, you know, congrats. And, you know, it was, I, it was awesome to see that. Brandon, can't thank you enough for being available to us this entire XFL season and be willing to talk about not only your career but your team as well. And we know we wish you nothing but the best, continuing to pursue your passion in football. And whether it's in the NFL, the XFL, the USFA, it doesn't matter. If Brandon Silvers is spinning the pigskin, we know here at WNSP we're definitely going to support you and continue to make sure that the public knows all about a local product that's continuing to do great things. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the support, and uh, thanks for having me on again. My pleasure. Brandon Silvers, quarterback for the Houston Roughnecks, came up a little bit short against the Arlington Renegades. And, Michael, that was a, a tough way to end the season. 26-11 to 11 was the final score this weekend. And see if the D.C. defenders can go ahead and take out and win that XFL title this coming weekend. Brandon wants the, those DC defenders to win. I, <laughs> he, he wasn't gonna say it, but uh, but I'll say it. I, which you know you can't blame. You lose to a team, you, you don't you don't want to see them win. The old uh, people love to say like, oh, like it makes you look better if the team that that knocked you out ends up winning the whole day. Who cares? Yeah, you you want you want the team that beat you to lose always. At least in my opinion. Well, I, I think that. When you look at the record, nine and one and four and six, Coach Stoops got hot at the right time. And again, it's hard to beat a team three times, and his team wasn't able to do it. And whether it was the injuries or just not having an opportunity, Coach Wade Phillips pulled him early, threw for over a thousand yards, ten touchdowns, only four interceptions this season. So he definitely had something on tape that would warrant him having an opportunity to continue to play football at that next level. And A.J. McCarron will be the next one. Led the XFL in touchdowns. And his team, St. Louis, they go out and don't even make the playoffs. But A.J. probably the best quarterback in the entire XFL and one of the most largest or the marquee names that everyone week in and week out would tune in to see what he's going to do and Will he have an opportunity to take this and parlay it into 
NFL backup job, and I'm pulling for A.J. McCarron if he continues to want to play and have his sons to see his jersey on the back of a National Football League organization. Pulling for A.J. McCarron. We hope to have him on here to talk about his season as well. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner. Georgia players that were taken by the Philadelphia Phillies or, or, or excuse me Philadelphia Eagles that are currently on that roster with Philadelphia and of course when you have a general manager and an owner that are coming off of a Super Bowl and Philadelphia is one of those that when you've recently experienced a Super Bowl win within the last five or six years you definitely have that hunger and taste wanting to get back there and given reasons for the success is one of those press conferences that was held this weekend by the general manager for the Philadelphia Eagles. And we started with two Alabama guys and the way those guys work, the, the kind of players they are, certainly the kind of people they are. It just reminded us that uh, no different than uh, when you're trying to hire someone for a position, you know, uh, obviously, you want guys uh, to be really uh, talented at what they do in, in whatever role they're in, but um, the other stuff matters as well, and, and the comp the competition level matters too. And so you see those guys play in the biggest games on the biggest stage against the best competition, um, and so it, it's an easier it's, – it's hard enough when you have all the factors going into a draft pick. We talked about it a lot. You got guys – coming from a college town to to the NFL for the first time, don't have classes, they're on their own. I mean, all the things that we've talked about before. But it, it's an, it takes the part out of the big jump in competition because the guys that they're playing against are the guys that are playing on something. Executive Vice President and General Manager for the Philadelphia Eagles, Howard Roseman, talking about the expectations coming from a winning program and I just think that when you are winning national championships whether it's Alabama or Georgia or Auburn or competing for national championships such as Michigan and TCU have done this past year the number of guys that you have drafted are going to be dictated there and that's exactly what you see and those comments made by a team that's coming off the Super Bowl that's being led by Jalen Hurts, $255 million richer because of his success and being so humble and the hard work that you have to have at Georgia and Alabama to maintain that standard of college football. Yeah, and Nick Saban always talks about the standard. Obviously, Kirby Smart learned what he 
imparts on his program from Nick Saban. Obviously, we've had the Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban debate, and at this point, no matter where you land on that, and if you don't land on the Kirby Smart side of things, you're probably wrong at this point based on the past two years. But again, uh, in terms of a general philosophy standpoint, it all stems from Nick Saban. Uh, so again, Kirby Smart built his program on the philosophy that Nick Saban parted upon him as his defensive coordinator for a number of years there. So yeah, I mean, that philosophy breeds winning, and uh, you want guys who care about winning and, and care about making uh making good decisions and and uh you know that's that's what ultimately leads to winning so it's nice that that howie roseman is thinking of that when when he's drafting these guys he's building a team full of them so you know obviously it's it's working out for him so far well one of the interesting stories too to the nfl draft was with the dallas cowboys and we talked about them on friday about how quiet they were or where they were going to go. And they had drafted Mozzie Smith overall in the first round, pick number 27. And then you were wondering where they were going to go and who they were going to select. And I think that one of the most interesting selections of the entire NFL draft was made by the Cowboys and Deuce Vaughn, mm -hmm being drafted by his dad, Chris Vaughn, yeah. who is currently with the Cowboys organization. Deuce Vaughn, the running back from Kansas State, six-round pick, 212th overall. But how cool Man. or how sweet of a phone call. You call your parents every day. You talk to your mom. You talk to your dad. But to receive that call from Pops, and it to be for Pops to tell you, hey, son, I have a job for you. Not only do I have a job for you, it's with the organization that you grew up wanting to be a part of. It's America's team. And for that phone call to be made, I thought that that was one of the highlights of the draft also. Yeah, man. Go check that out on Twitter if you haven't seen that video. The video of uh, Chris Vaughn, Deuce Vaughn, Kansas State running backs, father, uh, I, so I guess he's like the senior executive of college scouting for the Cowboys or something like that. And uh, the Cowboys had the opportunity to, to select Deuce Vaughn late in the draft. And uh, they let his father make the call for him. It's, you know, it's real tearjerker of a video. It's very, very awesome stuff to see. Uh, you, you, I, mean, I can't remember seeing something that cool and uh, just just awesome stuff. Real feel-good video. If you, uh, if you have a minute, definitely go check that out on Twitter. What I also love is the fact that when you look at legacy drafts, so a legacy picks like the Pittsburgh Steelers opened up mm. with when they go with a junior, and that being Joey Porter Jr. And, of course, his dad, Joey Porter Sr., having an opportunity to raise his son within that franchise. And when you go to look at all these NFL rookie specials and Joey Porter Sr. saying, look, the Steelers – they may be the only team that has not had an opportunity to interview you, but why would they? Because they already know what you're all about from him coming from his father's organization. And yeah. when you go get an offensive tackle to help out Kenny Pickett mm. as well, the Steelers, not too shabby. Steelers killed it. That was actually one of my favorite drafts overall. You go get Broderick Jones, trade up with the Patriots in the first round, which, by the way, prevented the Jets from getting Broderick Jones, which which I was certainly a fan of. Then you get Joey Porter in the second round and, and – uh, 
Darnell Washington in the third. Steelers really had sneaky one of the best drafts in, in the uh, in the entire league. I, I was a big fan of some of the stuff they did. We'll hopefully talk to uh, Tim Benz on Wednesday and get some more insight into the Steelers draft. But yeah, and they, they really needed it too. Obviously, the Ravens got a lot better. Bengals are going to be the Bengals, and Brown should be better. This I mean, AFC North is certainly shaping up into what should be one of the best divisions in football. So, you know, Steelers obviously have never gone below 500 with Mike Tomlin, but going to need to do better than that to really compete for a playoff spot this year in the AFC. So good good on the Steelers for sure. Well, what I love to see is whether it's from a free agency standpoint or from a draftee standpoint, all of the local guys and Jacorian Bennett goes to the Raiders. Oh, yeah. Of course, a former McGill Tulin championship athlete there you also have aj finley who goes as an undrafted free agent with los angeles eric Guerra, he signs an unrestricted free agent or undrafted free agent with tennessee jalen wayne with buffalo seafish johnson with minnesota so when you look at all those local names that are being attached to nfl rosters you have to love it, and it continues to show all the Mobile, Baldwin County flavor to where you're still having an opportunity to chase and pursue your dream. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, draft starts in Mobile, and certainly there was plenty of uh, guys drafted from the area as well, which you love to see. Jacorian Bennett's going to be a good NFL player. I, I love the fact that he went to the Raiders, and he's already on there with another Mobile Alabama player from Murphy High School oh, yeah. as well. So when you look at 251 being represented, represented very well, whether it's from a undrafted free agent standpoint or from a drafted player, you still have to love it. The final drive coming right back at you here on WNSP 105.5. Zach Blackerby will join us. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, with the NFL draft concluding this weekend, we wanted to talk about those Auburn Tigers who had an opportunity to be drafted as well. There were five of them, and not too shabby when you start looking at a team that really underachieved. But as far as one of the best players to put on an Auburn Tiger uniform, it was, of course, an edge rusher, Derek Hall. And, of course, he goes to the Seahawks. And we wanted to talk to Zach Blackerby, who is always part of Locked On, the Auburn Network. And, Zach, good evening and welcome to the final drive. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, happy, uh, happy Monday. Absolutely. And it was a happy Monday for one Auburn Tiger, the first one taken off the board, Derek Hall. 
Yep, yep. Over uh, over in Seattle, I think that's going to be a good spot for them where a situation where they can just say, hey, go rush the passer, and, and they do a great job in Seattle as far as player development. I think there's a few tools to Derek's game that, that I think it would have been coached a little bit better at Auburn. I think hand placement and, and all that, but you can't deny his motor. You can't deny his first step. And so he's, um, you know, we said this going into the draft, but whoever drafts him is going to get better on defense. And uh, that was Seattle. That was Seattle on, um, on Friday. Anders Carlson also going in the sixth round to be specialist are always a premium pick when you give up a draft pick to get a specialist. You're going to need them. Of course, Michael's New England Patriots get two specialists in that situation. But the kicker is a family of kickers for Auburn. He's going to join his brother in the National Football League. Yeah, yeah. If Green Bay's expecting Anders to be like Daniel, um, I'm just not really expecting that to happen. I hope I'm wrong. I love Anders. Seems like a a really solid kid from a really solid family, but he just wasn't really his brother. But it it seemed like his first two years starting as Auburn's kicker were kind of when he peaked, and then every year kind of dropped off just a little bit after that. But, you know, he's got the leg. They must have felt good about him coming back from that ACL injury two seasons ago at the end of that. So we'll see. We'll see exactly how he goes. But, you know, we've seen so many kickers get drafted over the last decade, two decades. And it's just, you know, is it going to is it going to work out? Is it going to be worth it? And it seems like we see more kickers get drafted now than we used to. And Andres gets the benefit from that. So, yeah, excited to see what he does with, uh, with the Green Bay Packers. Zach, one of my favorite fits in the whole draft was Tank in the third round to the Jaguars. I think he just performs a phenomenal one-two punch with ETN. What did you think about that one? Yeah, especially a young core, right, in Jacksonville. With Trevor Lawrence kind of leading that ascension, you give him another kind of toy to uh, to play with in the offense. And I think Tank, and, and I think a lot of people have said this. I'm not on an island here. This isn't anything crazy, but there's a really solid chance that Tank has a better NFL career than he did an Auburn career. Um, the guy that really, considering he got even close to 1,000 yards given the situation he was in, it's pretty, it's pretty wild to think. I mean, he just would get the ball and then would get hit in the backfield, but still kind of willed his way almost to 1,000 yards. He was dang close. Um, and so I think he's going to get taken care of a little bit better schematically in Jacksonville, especially when we saw kind of Jacksonville take that step forward as a team last year. So excited to see him kind of come off the bench, if you will, and support ETN. I think one of the players that you're looking at as far as from a current Auburn standpoint or what everyone was looking at from an Auburn fan base was, is the quarterback on campus currently? And, of course, the transfer portal closed this past Sunday and Michigan State's quarterback, Peyton Thorne, I do believe is how you say his last name, is entering the transfer portal. Will he be one of those guys that you think Auburn will look to to go ahead and fulfill their quarterback needs? I think it's either Peyton Thorne or Casey Thompson. We saw Casey Thompson, the former Nebraska and former Texas quarterback, enter the portal this past Friday, and he was on Auburn's campus this weekend, and he seems blown away. It seems like Casey Thompson wants to be an Auburn Tiger, but we'll see if uh, we'll see a few freeze and the staff, you know, extend that formal official offer 
to him. You know, he was taking pictures uh, from the interstate of Sweet Home Alabama signs, you know, making sure everybody knew that, that he was visiting Auburn. So we'll see. I, I think the argument for Casey Thompson is I think it's a really solid one-year rental, um, kind of a Band-Aid, give Q Freeze an extra year to figure out who exactly he wants being the quarterback of his franchise or his program moving forward. But Peyton Thorne seems to be a guy that this staff likes. A lot of his team, you know, you got to be careful with what you say, but a lot of these times these quarterbacks, these players enter the portal and it's kind of assumed where they're going to go. That's kind of what this feels like, guys. Um, Just talking with folks that cover Michigan State, as soon as they enter the portal, the buzz around it was, oh, he's heading to Auburn or Auburn's going to get the first shot at this guy. So it kind of makes you feel like, you know, if Casey Thompson's visit was as good as it seems like it was, you kind of wonder if he's the backup plan and, and, you know, maybe Peyton Thornton is, um, uh, Peyton Thorne, maybe he's, uh, maybe he's playing that. Well, also when you look at the Auburn Tigers, of course you have to have a quarterback solid at that position to, to call the signals, but it never hurts to be able to stretch the field vertically. And I know a former Ohio state wide receiver was expected to be on campus this past weekend and Caleb Burton was he able to to get a sniff of what it's like to be on the planes and get a little bit of Auburn fever also yeah yeah I was reading some interviews that that some reporters wrote um just kind of talking to him as he was leaving and I don't know. Uh, it seemed like he liked it. He talked about how he wasn't expecting it to be as enjoyable <laughs> as it was, um, which is a little interesting because this was the first place he went after entering the portal. So you got to think that there was some sort of level of being a priority there. But his remarks, you know, he talked about how he was in no hurry. He's going to visit several other places. It kind of makes you wonder how into that visit he actually was. Um, you know, Burton hasn't played yet. He's a former four-star product. Um, it looks like he's got some great route running ability, but he, I mean, we haven't seen it yet. It's all just kind of in theory because the Buckeyes, uh, they've got a lot of talent at wide receiver, and I'm sure that's why he left, just because it would be time before he uh, got a chance to play. But I don't know. I just, I just wasn't sold by kind of seeing all of his comments and just folks that I've talked to. There's been really no buzz about Burton. So I'm um until something else happens, I'm not expecting Auburn to land him. In terms of the undrafted guys that were signed, so Auburn has ten guys from this class in the NFL rosters in total, five drafted, five signed after the fact. Was there anyone that you were surprised was drafted or anyone you were surprised wasn't drafted or vice versa, any surprises at all? I mean, Eku Leota probably could have been drafted. John Samuel Shanker ends up getting a deal. A- any surprises to you at all? Hmm. I guess the biggest surprise was Anders getting drafted. I just, I just don't think he was that great of a kicker at Auburn, and he also suffered an injury. You know, that's not usually something that NFL teams want. But he went to the combine. I'm sure he interviewed well. Um, so I guess that would surprise me a little bit. Let's see. As far as undrafted free agents go, Shanker, I wasn't expecting to get drafted. He's got a good fit in with the Raiders, I think. We'll see if he makes the roster there. And outside of that, guys, I, I don't know. Eku Leota, I wasn't really expecting him to get drafted. Uh, I, 
guess there was a slight chance he could have been a day three guy. But, yeah, I guess the biggest surprise was Anders getting his name called. As far as the portal is concerned for exiting Auburn players, any big-time names besides Jeffrey Emba, who wound up going to Purdue, any other guys that really decided, look, you know, Hugh Freeze, appreciate you giving me this spring opportunity, but I'm just going to take my talents elsewhere, or those who continue to remain that you thought may have hit the transfer portal as it closed on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I think Jeffrey Embaugh is really the only one that I think would have cracked the two deep when it was all said and done. You know, I think I saw some Auburn fans upset that Dylan Brooks um, entered the portal. He was a former top guy. He was the highest-rated player that Brian Harson brought in during his short time at Auburn. But, you know, you never heard anything about him. He had a hard time gaining weight. He may have been the fourth edge, the fourth jack linebacker on this roster. So, uh, I actually called him entering the portal a few months ago, and a lot of people were kind of saying, there's no way, there's no way, but, but obviously he entered this weekend. Um, I, I guess guys that are still here that I was a little surprised about, I thought Cam Riley, the Auburn starting linebacker from a year ago, I thought there would have been a chance that he would have entered the portal. There's also, you know, all eyes are on T.J. Finley. T.J. Finley graduates this week. Um, so we'll see if he enters the portal. And just a reminder, as far as portal rules go, it may have closed on Sunday, but if you're a grad transfer, you're not confined to the time period of that. So if you're a grad transfer, you can just still leave the program that you're currently at. So once he graduates, he and maybe a few other folks may, uh, may enter the portal, and that may happen all throughout college football. So we're not quite done with this quote-unquote window yet. Um, so, but I'm a little surprised he didn't make that public, especially with quarterback news kind of popping with Casey Thompson and Peyton form. But so, yeah, I would say Cam Riley is probably my biggest surprise as far as guys who didn't leave. Appreciate the reminder on the on the transfer rules there. I you know, we were texting it. It's hard to keep up with I, the Jalen Milrow to Auburn dream died when you revealed to me that he'd have to uh, he'd have to sit out a year. But what a what a moment for content it would be. That would be wild. That would be wild as if that uh, the Iron Bowl needs any other sort of drama <laughs> thrown into it, but that'd be pretty cool. And, you know, in theory, you can apply for a waiver. It seems easier to get a waiver from the NCAA than it ever has. But, uh, but yeah, the, and I'm curious to see if the SEC changes this rule moving forward because, of course, if you would have transferred in the first window, you could transfer anywhere. Any program in college football, you're not limited at all. But the SEC, they've got a date that is sometime in the spring. I forget the date, but you've got to be there. But that date is before the second uh, portal window starts. So I'm curious to see if that changes at all in future seasons, just to see you know, if the SEC is okay with you know teams jumping ship within the conference or not. The Auburn Ambush Tour is on where their head coaches are going throughout the entire Southeast. And, of course, Bruce Pearl, he adds assistant coach Corey Williams to his staff. And also Auburn adds Indiana to their non-conference basketball schedule. And I think that game will be played in December in Atlanta as part of the annual holiday Hoopsgiving Showcase at State Farm Arena. That gives Auburn a very tough non-conference schedule or somebody that can help them with the RPI later on. Yeah, yeah, possibly. And, you know, it's funny going into Auburn's basketball slate last year, there was so much talk about 
you know, how weak Auburn's non-con was. But then it turns out Auburn faced more tournament teams last year than, than they have in program history. So um, I guess you never really know going into a basketball season. But you got to think with a program like Indiana, they're always going to be pretty solid. So uh, that should be a fun one. That should be a fun one to watch. Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn. How can people get all of your coverage of everything Auburn? Yeah, Locked on Auburn uh, is available wherever you get your podcast on YouTube. 25 to 30 minutes of just Auburn-specific content for you. Dropping every single morning. You can read all of our written work at auburndaily.com. Uh, that is Auburn's SI coverage if you're into that sort of thing. And then if, you, uh, if you're pulling for the Atlanta Braves and the Atlanta Braves are playing right now against the New York Mets at the end of a doubleheader, uh, we have Braves coverage at bravestoday.com. Want to thank you so much for your time, Zach. Hope you have a wonderful day. The rest of the week is outstanding as well. And thank you, as always, for jumping on the final drive with us. Hey, thanks, guys. Talk soon. Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn. And we'll be locked on what's going on in the NBA this past weekend in our next segment because, again, historic numbers that were put up by Steph Curry and looking forward to the Lakers Golden State matchup we'll have an opportunity to see two goats go at it for sure in the next round of the NBA playoffs and you're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 Hi this is Philip Rivers football coach at St. Michael Catholic you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5 and NBA action last night. Steph Curry scores a historic 50 points in game seven. And if there was a game on the line in the history of the NBA, I don't think there's another shooter that I would want to have the ball in his hands, either off the ball or handling the ball than Steph Curry. And Steph Curry knocks off the Sacramento Kings, and they'll get an opportunity to play LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers tomorrow. And Steve Kerr, he's seen some great basketball, but when you start making that type of comparison, when the word MJ comes up, you know it's pretty special. Uh, he doesn't surprise me. Um... We all take him for granted because he's brilliant night after night, and we've been watching this for 10 years. And we just, you know, you just have to remind yourself every once in a while, big picture. This is one of the great players in the history of the game. Um, but that's how I felt, um, you know, back when I, in my playing days, you know, with uh, Michael Jordan, you just, you'd see it night after night, so you just took it for granted. So that's how it is with Steph. You just, it's over and over and over again. And um, the, uh, the resilience and the, um, the work that goes into that, the focus, um, it's incredible to watch. And you start looking at being incredible to watch. And when you have a teammate that is also considered one of the most elite shooters in NBA history, Clay Thompson, and he refers to this game seven as the Steph Curry game, you have to absolutely respect the fact that 
Iron sharpens iron, and teammates respect teammates. You yourself has had just incredible shooting performances, high scoring nights, but has also played with Steph for you know, over a decade. What is it like ne being next to him when he's in his own, especially as someone who probably is familiar with that feeling? Oh, wow, thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's the best. I mean, especially when you have an off night yourself or the team, no one really shot it particularly well except for Steph. And there's a reason he's a two-time MVP, a finals MVP, is because he uh, pushes us over the top in moments like this. And when he's in the zone like that, you try to just get him in his spots, get him the ball, get out the way. And uh, gosh, what an incredible performance. This is a game seven I'll forever remember as the Steph Curry game. And he's just uh, a joy to watch and play with. I mean, I really, truly enjoyed just, like I said, sharing the backcourt with him. And it's amazing when you start looking at the fact that these are two of the most elite sharpshooters in the NBA. You're wondering in NBA history, you're wondering why you even have a game seven, why it comes down to that. And Steve Kerr also talked about the fact that he had a core group with Draymond, Steph, and Clay still being together. Still look at the fact that 50 points in a game seven. And I don't care what Sacramento did to try to stop him. They weren't going to be able to stop him without the basketball in his hands, with the basketball in his hands. He was just absolutely carving them up and doing what he wanted to do and showing why he's one of the greatest NBA players of all time. Now, if you start looking at actually having a series that is worth watching, LeBron James and Steph Curry – two of the most elite basketball players to ever play. You just have to enjoy the fact that you're yeah. going to get a chance to see greatness for an entire seven-game series, Braun, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, throw a little bit of credit the Kings way for sure. I mean, it's a team that hasn't made the playoffs in, what, 15, 16 years, and, you know, they took the Warriors, who aren't the Warriors of last year or the, or the last five years, really, uh, but obviously championship teams find a way to get it done and even going down 2-0 they they uh they figure it out and win the series in seven games but you know credit to the kings for sure but man uh I, this is gonna be good the warriors lakers i mean i, I gotta roll with the warriors here and, and which seemed unbelievable it, going into the playoffs that this team would have a chance to go to the western conference finals they just she didn't look good. They were like 11-30 and 30 on the road during the regular season and then go and win a road game seven in the first round against a team that hasn't made the playoffs in 15 years. I mean, what more can you say about Steph Curry at this point? It's just ridiculous. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he had 50 points in a game seven. It's Jimmy Butler continues to impress. Had 25 points, rolled that ankle. The Heat defeat the Knicks. We'll see what they're able to do in game two. And, of course, tonight, Philadelphia at Boston, the first game. Joel Embiid yeah. officially out. And he's probably going to win the NBA's most valuable player. So anytime you miss a most valuable player and him being out, that's going to be critical for Philadelphia to try to find someone else to step up. And, of course, Kevin Durant at Denver, down one game to none. They can't afford to lose tonight. Or Denver's looking at capitalizing on it. That's why you have home court advantage. But that's what makes the NBA playoffs so great. And coming up next, Jim Nagy. We'll talk about the great things that are going on with the Reese's Senior Bowl. Of course, 100 players 
had an opportunity to hear their names called and we'll talk with Jim Nagy and give us a recap of all those players that really stood out to him that participated in the 2023 Senior Bowl coming up next. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 returns with Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. And Jim, I tell you, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, three of the longest days, but it's just like Christmas time because what you do get a chance to see is for young men who came down to the 2023 Reese's Senior Bowl to achieve their goals. And I tell you what, you guys did a phenomenal job, you and your staff, of selecting and getting 39% of the entire draft right here in Mobile, Alabama, where the draft officially starts. Yeah, thanks, Corey. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good year. You know, we uh, we didn't hit our goal, so the goal is to get better every year. We've been stuck on 106 players drafted for two years now, uh, so we didn't quite reach our goal. We got to 100. We got triple digits uh, three years in a row, which uh, the game had never done before. So we feel good about that. But uh, no, in a, in a challenging year where where the league took our uh, league office took our coaching staffs and gave them to another All Star game, and and you know. Put, put a bunch of challenges in front of us uh, to come out with 100 draft picks and 38 guys in the, in the first three rounds, basically 38 of the top 100 guys. Uh, we feel good about it. Most importantly, like we're happy for all our players. I mean, these, you know, 100 of the guys got their names called, and that's kind of the culmination of a, a lifelong uh, life worth of work uh, and dedication. So, man, to see those guys take that next step and become uh, NFL players was, was really cool. Well, Jim, you know, the hay was in the barn for you guys because your game concluded in February, but uh, NFL record 43 trades during the 2023 NFL draft weekend. That's unprecedented. And I know if you were to go back in your position as a scout and trying to figure things out, those war rooms were totally blown up as far as from a historical standpoint with 43 trades. Yeah, you gotta, man, you gotta be ready. You gotta be prepared, and uh, and those, you know, those teams do a do a ton of work. There's, I mean, it's really, I mean, they'll get going on it like we're getting going on it. Um, it's a year-round process, so they've been working on this class for a year, and uh, you get to draft yeah, You got to have all your ducks in a row, and, and a lot of those, a lot of the trade stuff is is worked out beforehand, especially early in the rounds. Uh, you know, when you get to day three, it's it's coming off a little more haphazardly, but. Man, you gotta be you gotta be ready to make that phone call, and you gotta be ready for the phone to ring. So, um, yeah, it, it makes for a fun draft. It's cool watching guys move around and and target players and, and go go up and aggressively get players. So, I mean, I think the the first round, Houston Texans kind of shocked the world when they traded back up after taking C.J. Stroud at two, trading back up to take Will Anderson at three. That kind of kicked off kind of kicked off a crazy draft. Talking to Jim Nagy, executive director of the Senior Bowl. Jim, you, you had to know this question is coming from me. I got to ask you about Marte Mapu, Sacramento State, drafted to my Patriots. They announced him as a linebacker. They're calling him a linebacker slash safety. Give me a little scouting report on this guy. Like, is he going to play linebacker at the next level? What, what can uh, Patriots fans expect? 
Uh, yeah, I think he's going to play linebacker. He's definitely a kind of a tweener, hybrid player, strong safety linebacker. The plan was to play him at safety here. Um, and then Henry Toato, the linebacker from Alabama, um, backed out at the last minute, had a groin injury, so we had to play Mapu at linebacker. And he, I mean, he's got 219 pounds, and he hits like a ton of bricks. He's got, he's got really unusual explosion in his body for a guy that's that light. I mean, he hits like a guy that's 240, 250 pounds, and he's only like 218, 219, 220. Um, yeah, and he's a player that we frankly didn't do a good job on. We, uh, he wasn't even on the board. Um, and and there's, you know, there's another All-Star game the week before ours, the NFLPA game. They played that game out at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and uh, my phone was getting blown up all week, you know, from from different agents saying how great their players were doing out at that All-Star game, and they they, they belong in the Senior Bowl and. Um, you know, it was really easy for me, for, for all these other guys to, to hit these agents back and tell them what we thought of the players. But um, with, when Mapu's agent texted, I've never seen this guy before. Um, he was the big sky defensive player of the year. And I, I had to be honest with the agent. I said, man, I don't know your guy. Let me give me the night. Let me let me look at this all-star tape and let me go back and look at a Sacramento State tape. And I'll, I'll let you know in the morning. And then I, I called him back the next morning. He was a no-brainer. I said, let's get him on. Let's get him on the first flight out here after the PA game's over. And and uh, the rest is history. He went whatever he went, 76 overall for a guy that we did not even look at in the fall is pretty incredible. And, and so credit to credit to Marte, man. He, he he had a great process and really had to shut it down after the Senior Bowl. He had a torn pec. He didn't even get to do like the the workout stuff. But I, I think he's going to be a really good player in New England. I, I'm sure that pick was kind of a shocker to Patriots fans, but I, I think he's going to be a really good player. Max Duggan, of course, from TCU. When you're being nominated for a Heisman Trophy winner, you know that you're a player, and a lot of people are shocked the fact that he went to round seven. TCU puts eight guys into the NFL draft. I think that that's very impressive when you start looking at a young man who, along with three or four other quarterbacks that came down to Mobile, Alabama, had their name called also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at the numbers. I think I think Alabama and Georgia were were tied for the most players drafted. Michigan was next, and, and TCU might have been next after that. And so it makes sense they end up in the college football championship game when you you've got all those draftable players. But I was happy to see Max go. Um, you know, a little bit later than I would have thought. But uh, you know, he's he's going there with both wide. The Chargers drafted both his wide receivers, including Darius Davis, who. They took Darius in the fourth round. He was here at the Senior Bowl, so he's going to have some instant chemistry with his guys, which is good for Max. And, uh, you know, and then he looked right down I-10. New Orleans Saints took Jake Hayner from Fresno State, who was our game MVP. So that's really going to be fun to have Jake in our backyard and uh, have him close to us with the Saints. And, and again, really great situation for Jake going into a place where he doesn't have to play right away and he can learn from a, a fellow Fresno State alum and Derek Carr. Um, and hopefully a couple years down the road, maybe he'll be the tight, uh, the quarterback of the future in New Orleans. So I know the Saints were fired up to get him. Talking to talk to their assistant GM over the weekend, and Jake was the guy that they'd kind of been targeting uh, since this process started. Uh, Jim, when you look at a guy like Will Levis, obviously he didn't come down here. I mean, obviously your job is to promote the Senior Bowl. I mean, do you think it's the type of situation where he ult- – and I know he was injured and it was kind of a weird situation. Do you think it was ultimately the type of situation that he would have benefited from, from coming to the Senior Bowl like that? Yeah, had he been healthy, Michael, but I, I, I truly think the injury played a big part. And the only reason I say that, I'm really close with his agent. Um, and so when the agent says that it was the injury, I have to trust him on it. We're, we're very close. I consider him a friend. So 
Um, I do think it was the foot injury, but yeah, uh, I just got off uh, a show on Sirius Radio and they asked me the same question about about Levis, and yeah, I think he could have benefited. And anytime, anytime you have an overwhelming physical trait, whether it's like size or speed, um, or in Will Levis's case, arm strength, um, that's more impactful when you see it up close in person. And uh, so for Will to come down here and throw the ball all week in front of all these decision makers, uh, I think he would have made an impact. So I think it would have helped him, but. Again, I, I'm happy, you know, I'm happy Will landed in a good spot. I wish him nothing but the best. Would I have wanted him to be here in Mobile? Absolutely. But, um, you know, they, they, they didn't feel like he was healthy enough to come and put his best foot forward. So, um, literally, literally and figuratively. And uh, so, he, so he didn't end up here. So we'll never know. We'll never know what would have happened. But, uh, again, I, just hope, I hope he has a good career with the Titans. We're speaking with Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl 100. Reese's Senior Bowl athletes were drafted and saw their dreams get ready to be accomplished. And, Jim, as you're doing these national radio shows across the country, and I know, you know, the, the, the talk was, of course, on day one, Will Levis dropping down. And, but when you look at what was the most asked question in regards to after is over with, was it the Philadelphia Phillies draft? I mean, Phillies, I, I don't know why I have them on my brain. The Eagles today, was it their draft? Was it the Lions? Was it the Texans? Uh, I mean, what team really, I know you don't give grades for the team. Your job is to get grades on the board or get guys on the board in recognition standpoint. But a lot of the talk nationally, what franchise would that have been? Yeah, Corey, it's a good question. A lot of Eagles, um, certainly a lot of Eagle talk, and they and they, I thought they did a great job. I really do. I mean, I to get those three Georgia Bulldog defensive players, you know, up there at the top of the draft, I, I think they did a great job. Uh, a lot of questions about Detroit, you know, so maybe some head scratcher picks, and, and again, um, not that they weren't good football players, not that Jameer Gibbs isn't a good football player, but you know, did they did they have to take him at twelve overall? I think there was some question on. Um, did they reach a little bit for some of their picks? So, yeah, people asked about Detroit. Um, you know, Pittsburgh, I've talked to a lot of Pittsburgh Steelers today, a lot of talk there. I think they did a great job with a brand-new GM that was having his first draft. So, um, yeah, those would probably be the three. The excitement that goes into the game and everything that surrounds it, Jim, of course, the focus over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, of course, was on the players and the franchises, but the Senior Bowl, again, the draft starts in Mobile. So many activities go on within the community leading up, fundraisers for local high schools. Tell us about where the Senior Bowl goes now. Of course, we know the 2024 board was already probably started a couple of months ago back in January, but now what's next for the Reese's Senior Bowl and the staff? Yeah, I mean, Corey, like you said, the draft starts in Mobile, and I, I, I will make this point now. I, I just saw this today. 53 million people watched the NFL draft, was released from the from uh, league office today. 53 million viewers, and if you watch the three days, I mean, the word Senior Bowl in Mobile got, got mentioned uh, uh, plenty of times, and so... Uh, for these guys, for this thing to be that big, this whole process to be that big, in our city to be really the, the only other city in America other than Kansas City this year, which hosted the event. I mean, we're really the only other city that's tied to the NFL draft process. That's, I mean, that's really impactful, Corey, and, and I, I appreciate it, and that's why I've worked so hard to to get the, the name Mobile out there. Um, 
So I just, I just, I just got to reiterate that, man. Like how, how grateful I am that our city has this, has this incredible event every year and now it's yeah our focus is more towards the community now so uh we'll have our scout school program that we do for for former nfl players here in june but but really the next big thing on the calendar is our uh, hall of fame induction ceremony at the end of june at, at the uh at the grand hotel along with our charity golf tournament which uh you know last year we raised sixty five thousand dollars for our underprivileged local high school football teams in the community and um they're they're going to be our benefactors again this year so uh looking to make a lot of money to uh, give, give a lot of money away to some of these schools in the community that, that, that truly need it. Another one I got to ask you, Jim, I, I was fascinated at this approach from Cincinnati. Uh, they double dip on senior bowl receivers, actually taking who was a guy who was actually my favorite player in the draft and Charlie Jones from Purdue. And then in the sixth round, grab uh, Princeton product, Andre. And I think I'm pronouncing that right. We had him on the show. I should know it. Uh, Yoshivas, I believe. Uh, so just from a team building perspective for a team that re- is obviously receiver rich, like uh, what what uh, what does that say to you when when they're double dipping on on senior bowl receivers like that? Yeah, well, you know Charlie's a guy that we had committed to the game, and then he got an injury um, right before the week. And yeah, that was another legit one. Um, and he so he never made his way to Mobile, but really fast guy. I mean, really really had a great senior year there at Purdue after leaving Iowa. Uh, really kind of one of the breakout players in this year's draft process um, in the fall. But I think with Andre, you know, they're obviously they, they want to surround Joe Burrow with enough wep- you know, as many weapons as possible up there. I think they I think they think they're gonna lose um Boyd, Tyler Boyd, the receiver after this year. And uh they just put a lot of money into into T. Higgins and they're gonna get Jamar Chase signed up. So they, they need to get some young guys ready to go. Um and I think Charlie was the guy they were probably targeting and then they they probably got into the sixth round, um, and Andre Yoshivas was still on the board and said, Wow, how can we how can we pass on a guy? They they probably didn't expect Andre to still be there, so he was probably, I'm guessing, he was sticking out like a sore thumb on their board. And that even though they might not have needed a receiver, um, sometimes when your board looks like that and the guy's just just sticking out and he's above everyone else, um, you take the best player. So I I don't know that for certain. I'm just I'm guessing that's what might have happened with uh, DeAndre Yoshiba's pick. Eddie Tamiwa, Eddie Barre was one of the went to the Colts. That was one of the most intriguing and interesting names to say, but he made a lot of noise this past year coming out of Northwestern for the Senior Bowl. Also, yeah, Eddie Tamiwa had a had a had a big year. You know, I I, had a, I thought he might have a chance to go in the second round. We're talking about a guy that ran four four nine at two hundred eighty two pounds. Now, to put that in perspective, the Alabama three senior Alabama guy, well four. Alabama had four DBs, uh, DeMarco Hellum, Jordan Battle, Eli Ricks, and Brian Branch. None of those guys ran faster than 4.57. This guy ran 4.49 at 282 pounds. So um, with those rare traits, I thought he had a chance to go in the second round. He slides all the way to the fourth just because he, he's going to play defensive tackle in the NFL, and the only time anyone's ever seen him do that was in the Senior Bowl. He was more of a defensive end, kind of a stand-up player at Northwestern. So a little bit of a projection there, but uh, the Colts went on a run between the second and the fourth round or fifth round. They took seven out of eight players out of Mobile. So they, they, uh, they're, the, the Indianapolis Colts draft certainly started in Mobile. But, but yeah, Adetama was a guy that I really think two or three years from now we're going we're gonna to look back and be like, man, I, I can't believe that guy lasted the fourth round. I agree with you, Jim. And the last one, as far as it starts in Mobile, the draft starts in Mobile. His life started here in Mobile. Ja'Korian Bennett does a wonderful job from Maryland. And 
from McGill Tulin. He comes back and really puts on and goes to the Raiders. Have to be extremely happy when you see hashtag 251 in the building also. Oh, so oh, so happy for Jacorian. Uh, you know, really, he came out of McGill at that same time as like Jalen Tolbert and, and uh, Bubba Thompson and all those guys, and he was the overlooked one. You know, he wasn't recruited. He had to go to the junior – he had to go to go the JUCO route, go to junior college, and uh, ends up at Maryland, has an unbelievable career. Um, and he's a guy the Raiders traded up for and took him with the second pick in the, in the, in, on day three, which means that, you know, that, that Friday night after, after day two, you all sit around in the draft room and we're, we kind of target players to pick. And, and the Raiders must have thought enough of Ja'Cory, and they traded up to get him. They probably thought he was going to go in the third round. Um, he was the second fastest DB at the combine, running 4 3 and then uh, got his hands on 27 balls the last two years. He had five picks and 22 PBUs. So, um, and what, what, do, what do NFL teams covet at corners? Speed and ball skills. So he's got both of those things in spades, and uh, I think he's going to be a really good NFL player for a long time, and, and obviously the Raiders do too, or they wouldn't have traded up in the fourth round to get him. Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joining us here. want to thank you so much. Jim, for your time, and I know you've had a tremendously busy day and continue to get ready to get focused on that 2024 big board. And, again, thank you so much and look forward to talking to you moving forward about all the great community events that are coming up for the Reese's Senior Bowl. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Look forward to seeing you out there, Corey. I'm sure we'll uh, see you out there at the Hall of Fame event. Absolutely. Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And, We'll put the finishing touches on this Monday edition of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. The final drive on WNSP 105.5 and Detroit trading DeAndre Swift to the Philadelphia Eagles. You kind of had to know that that was going to happen, Michael, and you could see the writing on the wall once yeah. you knew where Detroit, who they did draft early in the situation on Thursday. But Alabama overall tied for the second most in school history with 10 draftable players. Auburn has five. Georgia with 10. Michigan with nine. TCU with eight. And as far as the Houston Texans are concerned, I'm more excited about the fact John Mechie is coming back from leukemia and his treatment to get on the field next year for the Houston Texans, more so than C.J. Stroud probably is, no more so than C.J. Stroud because he'll have a number one pick to throw to. Absolutely. Hell of a uh, story for John Mechie. Uh, you know, obviously been through a ton and, and uh, unfortunately had to miss his entire rookie year. But, you know, you love to see the fact that he's going to be back this year and he's healthy and he's practicing. So, you know, that's certainly the most important thing. They, they had another nice pick. They had uh, they took Tank Dell at, a, I believe, Houston, ironically, uh, who's a senior bowl guy also. And Xavier Hutchinson, who, if I'm not mistaken, is also a senior bowl guy, Iowa State receiver. They got him real late, too. He's a good player. So Texans had a nice draft. They're, they're uh, making a little little offensive weapons for Stroud. We'll see what happens there. Bryce Harper cleared by the Philadelphia Phillies after Tommy John surgery, coming back as a designated hitter on tomorrow. And we'll talk a little bit about the Atlanta Braves and what that means for them and getting banned from a big hat celebration. We'll talk about that, about 
Why do you think it is certain leagues ban certain celebrations? We'll get into that tomorrow as well. Philadelphia at Boston tonight in the NBA. Phoenix at Denver. Looking forward to those matchups to see if KD can get ahead of the Denver Nuggets and tie that series up at one game apiece. Steph Curry going for 50 points. We'll talk about that on Tuesday. The Lakers and Golden State. Want to thank everybody for tuning in to a jam-packed final drive. Tony Sakalis, Brooks Austin, Brandon Silvers, Zach Blackerby, and Jim Nagy all joining us today on the final drive. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll do it all again. Check in tomorrow.